have a Bible, please open to uh, the book of Revelation, uh, to Revelation chapter 22, the very last book and the very last chapter in the Bible. One of the most important social skills of our modern age uh, is the ability to give and respond to invitations. Now, you might not think so, but this is a very tricky and complicated part of life, especially now that so much of our communication takes place via text message. Uh, let me explain what I mean. Uh, to begin with, there are different levels. Uh, for example, you decide in the morning to go to the beach in the afternoon and it would be nice to have some company. You have some friends who you think might enjoy going to the beach, but you are 100% okay if they don't want to come or if they have other plans. You're, you're not desperate for them to come. If they can come along, great. If they can't, that's fine. You're going to enjoy the beach either way. There is a real art to writing a text message that communicates precisely this idea. <laughs> you don't want them to think that you're desperate for their company. You uh, don't want them to feel any pressure or to feel guilty if they say no. There is this basic level of invitation and yet it's, it's not easy to get it right. And then above this is the invitation to something slightly more organised or formal, a barbecue or a dinner at your place, or lunch at a cafe somewhere. And with this kind of occasion, uh, there, there's more of an emotional commitment. <laughs> you really do want that person to come along, and so you have to word that text message a bit differently, uh, making the point a bit more strongly that you'd, you'd love them to come along, and yet, at the same time, you don't want to guilt them into coming. You only want them to come if they want to come. This kind of invitation requires a very delicate balance. And when it's done well, it's really something very special. And then above this is the invitation to something quite formal. A wedding, a, a special dinner, a, a graduation. And, and this time, there's usually money involved. <laughs> and a text message won't cut it. If people don't come, you might actually be upset. So there are these levels that we have to negotiate and craft our invitations appropriately. And then there is the issue of who might get upset if they discover that person was invited and they weren't. Now we're getting into really complicated territory, aren't we? Especially at Christmas, I think. Even dangerous territory. We can turn ourselves in knots over this. And we might just give up and not invite anyone. And then there is what I think is the most difficult and yet most important skill of all, the ability to decline an invitation without upsetting the person who invited you. I think there's actually a business idea in this. It is hard to nail the perfect sorry I can't make it text, isn't it? Especially it's especially hard if the truth is that you don't want to go, <laughs> but you don't want to hurt that person's feelings and you don't want to tell a lie. Uh, this whole matter of invitations is a social and moral minefield. But all kidding aside, what is 
an invitation. What is an invitation? Well, it's a request for someone to go somewhere or do something. But if we dig a bit deeper, an invitation is an expression of a desire. What someone wants. They want your company. Uh, They want you to attend an event they're putting on. They want you to participate in something they're doing. Or they want you to apply for a job or invest in a project. A moment ago we had readings from the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew and those young men did a fine job. And in those readings we have the Christmas story. And if you think about it, in, in these events we remember and celebrate at this time of year, two invitations were given and both were given by God. There was the invitation given to the shepherds And it didn't come by text message or by a letter in the mail or by a herald riding on a horse. It was issued by an angel who appeared in the sky, who was then surrounded by a host of angels singing praises. It was an invitation to go and see the Messiah, Christ the Lord, who had just been born. The one God's ancient people had been waiting for, the one their scriptures spoke of. It's like God was saying to these shepherds, come and see my son. I think it's fairly clear that this is what God wanted these men to do, for he had the angels share some very specific details. Uh, The child was born in the city of David, that's Bethlehem, and they would find him wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. I suspect it wouldn't have been very hard for the shepherds to walk into town and ask around if there had been a baby born that night. Uh, It wouldn't have been too difficult to find this family and their newborn lying in a manger, in a feed trough. Now can you imagine if the shepherds, after witnessing this incredible sight in the sky, after receiving the angel's message, hearing that heavenly choir chanting praises to God, looked at one another and said, Nah, I don't think we'll go. We're all set up here for the night. We've got this nice fire going. The sheep are all settled. I think we'll give it a miss. It's almost comical to imagine the shepherds responding to the invitation this way. Who says no? <laughs> when the invitation is issued by an angel in the sky. In the second reading from the Gospel of Matthew, we saw another invitation that also came via highly unusual means. In this case, God used a star to invite wise men from the east to come and see his son. Now, uh, we could fill the rest of this sermon and another exploring this part of the Christmas narrative, It really is quite fascinating to think about who these men were and how they recognised this star, how they knew it announced the birth of the Messiah. The angel was very clear and direct when he came to the shepherds. Uh, You couldn't have missed the message, but with this star, I suspect the invitation had to be deciphered. Uh, You had to have knowledge of astronomy and of the history of Israel and the Old Testament in order to receive the message. 
And these wise men from the east obviously did, and they travelled hundreds of kilometres to see the one who was born King of the Jews and to worship him. Isn't that interesting? They fell down and worshipped him. Who did they think this child was? In the lead up to Christmas, we've been having some sermons from the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible. And did you know that the Bible ends with an invitation? In fact, it ends with two invitations. Uh, Your Bible should be open at Revelation chapter 22. Please follow along as I read aloud from verse 16. Revelation chapter 22 verse 16 says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. In the book of Revelation, the Apostle John describes what he saw when the Lord Jesus showed him God's plan for the future of this world. It culminates in chapter 19 with the return of Jesus to judge the world and establish his kingdom. And then this is followed by the new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. If you would look back at chapter 21, please, beginning at verse 1. It says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. In our text in chapter 22, the story of what is to come has been told. It's complete. And now Jesus comes to John with a concluding message. This is a kind of epilogue, if you will. A speech at the end of the book or a play that serves as a comment on or a conclusion to what has happened. We won't go through all of it this evening. I want to draw your attention just to what we read in verses 16 and 17. In verse 16, Jesus identifies himself as the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. He speaks of his connection to King David, which we talked about on Sunday. Uh, Jesus is a descendant of David. He is of the royal family of Israel. 
for the angel said to Mary, The Lord God shall give unto him, that is to her child, the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. But if you look at it carefully, this is quite a remarkable title. Think about it. I am the root and the offspring of David. (laughs) In other words, David came from me and I came from David. (laughs) How is that possible? Well, it's possible because Jesus is both David's son and David's Lord. He is the Lord, David's son and God the Son. The second person of the Holy Trinity, co-eternal with the Father and with the Spirit, co-equal in glory and majesty. He is the one who created all things. Just as we owe our existence to God the Son, so did David. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. How appropriate that it was a star that announced his entrance into the world. A star led those wise men to the star, the brightest star, the light of the world. Now this is a messianic title that goes back to the Old Testament, to the book of Numbers, chapter 24, verse 17, and you can study that out further at your leisure. In verse 17, Jesus speaks of a series of invitations while it's not immediately clear, there are actually only two. Let's read the text again, verse 17. And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is athirst, Come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Let's look at this verse bit by bit. First of all, Jesus tells John that the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Then secondly, he urges those who hear, that is, those who hear the message of this book, to say, come. Then thirdly, Jesus himself issues an invitation to those who are thirsty to come. Anyone who wants to, to come and take the water of life freely. Now as I said, there are two distinct invitations here. Two different audiences are being addressed. The first is Christ himself. The spirit and the bride are inviting, even urging Jesus to come. To return and bring to fulfilment God's purposes. To come and do what the book of Revelation tells us he will do. Now the spirit is the Holy Spirit who indwells the people of God, who is always pointing them to the Son When we understand who the Spirit is and what his role is within the economy of salvation, it is no surprise that he would say this. The bride is the church, the new covenant people of God. And Jesus is the bridegroom. Our marriages are a type and shadow of this marriage, the everlasting union of Jesus and the people he loves the people he has redeemed with his own blood. We understand why the bride would say this. She yearns to be with the bridegroom, to sit down with him at that great marriage feast that is described in chapter 19. 
And furthermore, Jesus says this ought to be the response of those who hear, those who receive the message of this final glorious book of the Bible. When Christians hear about what's in store, they ought to say, come. We see it down in verse 20. John says, amen. John says, yes. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. At Christmas, we celebrate the advent of Jesus, the entrance of God's Son into the world in human flesh. And we should celebrate. We should rejoice and give thanks. He came for us and for our salvation. He came to reconcile us to God. He lived a perfect life. He died for our sins upon the cross. He rose again the third day and he ascended into heaven. But that's only half the story. He's coming back. And I wonder today if you want him to. Does your spirit say with the Holy Spirit, Come. Come, Lord Jesus, I'm ready. I'm longing for you to come and fulfill God's purposes for my life and for this world. Maybe after the year we've had, this is exactly what you're feeling. This yearning in your soul has never been so strong. Or maybe this year has gotten you so down or you've become so distracted that you've forgotten about this, that Jesus is coming back. Perhaps your reserves of hope are pretty low this Christmas. Perhaps your store of joy has been severely depleted. Perhaps there is a restlessness in your mind and in your heart that's wearing you out. If that is so... Let let me remind you that the child lying in the manger is the King of kings and Lord of lords. All authority in heaven and in earth has been given to him and he is coming back. He is coming back to fix what is broken in this world. He loves you more than anyone else does and his plans for you are good and most certainly will come to pass. If you turn your eyes upon him this Christmas, if you look full in his wonderful face, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. This is the first invitation and it is addressed to Jesus. The second invitation is given by Jesus and it is addressed to those who are thirsty verse 17 and let him that is a thirst come and whosoever will let him take the water of life freely of course Jesus is not talking about physical thirst but about spiritual thirst about a yearning for peace and fulfillment for for a yearning for wholeness in the soul. This thirst is universal. And it is something that is especially evident at this time of the year. You know, there is nothing wrong with presents and nice food and holidays, not at all. 
But not a year goes by where we don't marvel at how commercialised Christmas has become, how consumeristic our society is, the lengths to which people go to pursue these things, the amount of money they will spend, seems to suggest that they are trying to satisfy something deep inside of them. They're trying to have some measure of joy some measure of satisfaction in life. They want to feel truly at peace, truly happy and fulfilled, even if just for a day or a week. They want to quench this thirst that Jesus is talking about. And maybe they do for an afternoon, for a day, for a week. But then January comes and it's back to work and back to school, back to the ordinary routines of life, and this thirst returns with a vengeance. People try all sorts of things to fill this void, to find satisfaction, to quench this seemingly insatiable thirst. Some try to keep themselves busy with work or with recreation. Some try meditation in the new age. Some travel as much as they can. Many use alcohol and drugs and sex to feel good and to try to forget about how they feel deep down inside. Some try devoting themselves to their family or to the community, but none of these provide more than temporary respite because this is a thirst that can only be quenched by the water of life. What Jesus says here is reminiscent of what he said when he met a woman at a well just outside the city of Samaria. She had come to draw water and Jesus asked her to draw some water for him so that he might drink. She was taken aback by his request because she recognised that he was a Jew and she was a Samaritan and the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Typically the Jews avoided the Samaritans, even despised them. Listen to how Jesus responded to her and some of the conversation that ensued. This is from John chapter 4. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus offered this woman the very same water that he offers to all in our text in Revelation. Living water, the water of life. And what is it? It's something that we receive that changes us inwardly. Something that pertains to the soul. It quenches that great spiritual thirst forever because it's actually a well of water that springs up inside of us. In other words, it's an endless supply. A well of water springing up into everlasting life. 
This water is salvation. It is that which makes us alive inwardly, alive to God. Without physical water, we die. Without this spiritual water, we're never alive. Without this water, we're perpetually thirsty. Because in our natural condition, we are dead to God. We're separated from Him. We're unable to commune with Him. These are the bitter consequences of Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden and the bitter consequences of our sin. A sin is no small matter. Sin is what separates us from God in this life and in eternity. And we all have sinned. We have all rebelled against our Creator willfully and sometimes happily and the wages of our sin is death. We are dead to God. Dead in trespasses and sins. God is the only one who can make us whole on the inside. No one else can do that. God is the only one who can give rest to our restless souls. It is only through living in relationship with our Creator that we experience authentic and enduring peace and joy and satisfaction. But... As I said, our sin has separated us from Him. Our sin has left us dry and dead. We need this water desperately. We need salvation. We need life. We need to be reconciled to God. And that's what Jesus, God's Son, offered the Samaritan woman. And that's what Jesus offers sinners everywhere. That's the invitation at the end of the book. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. It's free. The Bible calls this grace. Whoever is thirsty is invited to come. Whoever wants to may take of this water and receive salvation and life from the Lord Jesus Christ. J.C. Ryle, in his expository thoughts on the Gospels, paraphrases Jesus' words to the Samaritan woman. He expands on them to bring out the fullest sense of their meaning. This is what Jesus was saying to the woman, and this is what he is saying in our text in Revelation. The quote is in the order of worship. The gift of grace, mercy and peace which I am ready to give shall be in the heart of him who receives it an ever-flowing source of comfort, satisfaction and spiritual refreshment continuing and flowing on not only through this life but unto life eternal. He that receives my gift of living water has a fountain opened up in his soul of spiritual satisfaction which will neither be dried up in this life or the life to come which shall flow on to all eternity. This is the water of life and it is good. It is the greatest gift that anyone has ever offered to us. And perhaps you're wondering how it is received. Now, How exactly does a person respond to Jesus' invitation to come and take the water of life freely? Well, thankfully, he told us. In John chapter 6, verse 35, he said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst person who believes on Jesus, who puts their trust in Jesus as the Son of God, as their one and only Saviour from sin, that person shall never thirst. 
that person receives living water, forgiveness of sins, everlasting life, this life-giving, soul-satisfying water is received by faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. In the Christmas story, we see these two marvellous invitations to, to come and see God's Son, to come to Jesus. The invitation that was given to the shepherds by that angel in the sky and the invitation the wise men received, that the star that led them to Bethlehem. Like these men, so too are we invited to come to God's Son, to come to Jesus and to have him satisfy the deepest needs of our life. We're invited to come to him and receive salvation from sin and life with God that shall never end. We're all thirsty. We all need the water he offers. Why wouldn't we come and freely receive it? If you have not come, then I urge you to be like those shepherds, to be like those wise men. Say yes to this gracious invitation. Say yes today. Come to Jesus and believe in him. Let him quench your thirst forever. God has made us for himself and our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. Amen.